Wow. I love this time of year. I love fall. I just figured out a way the other day where I can get go up into northern New York, start fall up there, catch fall here for a couple of weeks, and get to Pennsylvania, catch their fall, and get them down to, I was in Baltimore, and the fall's just happening still down there. They still have all the leaves on the trees and real pretty. And so there's a way to do it where we can kind of stretch it out over about a three-month period. That would be worthwhile. I love Thanksgiving as well. Thanksgiving, uh, I grew up in Canada, so our Thanksgiving was in October. And we just found, we, we just came into something wonderful when we moved to New York and found out there's Thanksgivings in November. So we were doing double duty. We got two Thanksgivings. We'd go home for Canada, be with my family and Heather's family and, and be back here. It's a wonderful time of year. But uh, the, we get the idea of Thanksgiving, you know, it's around stuffed turkeys and football and that kind of thing. But, but uh, there's a time in America uh, where our country is incredibly divided. It was a great civil war and uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, killed each other, uh, north and south. And, and um, uh, some of us men just did a, a Civil War tour just to uh, see what happened and go to the places where it happened. And, and we got to know Lincoln quite a bit on this tour, went to some of the places related to, to President Lincoln. And I, I, I just love him, appreciate him so much. But during that great Civil War, Lincoln uh, made a declaration uh, of a day of thanksgiving. And uh, he proclaimed it. And uh, if, you think, if you think these days were divided, if you think that these days it's confusing politically, and it is, it's, it's crazy. And then in Chile as well, it's just uh, awful to see what's happening right today. And it could get worse. But it's not the most uh, discouraging time that there's ever been in American history. It may feel like that to you because it's new, especially if you're younger. But there's been some really crazy, confusing times in America. In the Civil War period, uh, it's, it's just hard to imagine how, how awful it was and how close it was to this country not being a country. And um, so in Lincoln's first term of office, uh, he called for a day of public penance, fasting, prayer, and thanksgiving. And in 1863, that's the beginning of the Civil War, and, the, and he, he came in to be president, and they were trying to kill him. Uh, they tried to kill him in Baltimore before he gets to the White House. That's how divided the country was. And um, so he gets into office, and one of the first things that he does, because he's someone who reads his Bible every, every morning and um, had read it from his youth. It was one of the first books he ever read. So he knew he was on to something. So he, he proclaimed a national day of humiliation, fasting and prayer, and Congress passed it. So it's, it became what's today called Thanksgiving Day. But in his mind, he thought, this country is in ruin. It's, 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 it's so divided and politically just uh, crazy things happening. He thought that if the country stopped and asked God for forgiveness and offered Thanksgiving and, and missed some meals. So, so the original Thanksgiving was fasting. We're, we're so far away from the original Thanksgiving. Here's what he wrote. Listen to this. Uh, I don't know, Ruth, if, if she 
may not put this up there, but listen to it and let it sink into your ears. This is what he wrote to help people uh, to know how to observe this day. Listen to this. I'm not a great reader, but see if, it, if I can get this out. We've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God who made us. What an amazing piece. So if you can imagine a modern day president sitting in front of the television in America and say, America, let's, let's humble ourselves before God. We've been so blessed and we think somehow it's because of our own hand that we've done this and let's repent and let's turn to God and let's humble ourselves and let's fast and let's pray. But the key word, and the reason it was called Thanksgiving Day is somehow he knew, rightly I believe, he knew that uh, if he could get the nation to begin offering Thanksgiving in the middle of the storm, it would change things. What a profound insight. And um, he actually uh, made this proclamation, but he, he issued it, I think, nine times during, this, during his time in office. Nine different times he got the nation. Uh, not that they all did it, but he made the attempt to, as a leader of the nation to get us back to God. What an amazing heart that is. So I want to talk this morning about the power and the, and the purpose of thanksgiving. And uh, part, of, part of giving thanks is it changes our heart. And uh, if you read in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 22, it says that a merry heart works good like a medicine. A merry heart works good like a medicine. So your head can be confused, your head can be depressed could be afraid, full of, full of anxiety. And so he says that there's a medicine that you can take, a spiritual medicine that you can take that changes how you feel. If you got one of those little pill boxes, you know, that had Monday to Sunday on it and, and somehow put something that you're grateful in those little pill uh, cavities and you, and you put it in there and that you're gonna offer up, you're gonna take almost like a medicine, gratitude. And there's a discipline with it. It's, it's possible that, you know, only when we're reminded or only when uh, um, something really good happens that we offer up Thanksgiving. What the Bible suggests is, is the best time to offer Thanksgiving is when everything wrong is happening. When everything's going wrong. 
There's times that I've, I felt like I was in a whirlwind where just a, like a tornado, I was in the eye of it, and there's just a debris of, of my life just swirling around me in this roaring hurricane kind of sound. And I would raise my hands in the middle of it and begin thanking God. And it just stops everything. It changes everything. And there's been times that I just feel in my own mind that it's just, I just feel like I'm drowning in a sea of darkness. And there's been times it's like strapping on a life jacket and I start offering thanksgiving to God, thanking them out loud with my mouth. And I stop drowning. I just feel like I'm being preserved. It's a powerful, powerful tool. It's, I believe, I, I don't think it's an overstatement. I think the most powerful prayer that you could ever pray is the prayer of thanksgiving, especially when everything's going wrong, especially when nothing's working. And we just see, um, we see a time in Israel's history. You can read this in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's an amazing story of a young king named Jehoshaphat. And if you can imagine, here's little Jerusalem. Jerusalem's still small. It's a very small city. And uh, it's completely surrounded by the enemies who want to destroy it. I don't know how many missiles they lobbed into Jerusalem this, or into Israel this week, but more than 200 on one day. Uh, their enemies just lobbing these missiles, and the kids have to live in bunkers, and they can't go to school. It's a, the apartment we stayed in there had a gas chamber, a little room that you can get away from all the, um, all the missiles and the gas. And so it's an amazing place to live in that kind of context. But but it's always been that way. And there was a time, if you can imagine, five different nations. If you can picture them like Viking gangs, uh, uh, biker gangs, you know, trying to destroy Israel. Five nations surrounding this little tiny nation. And, and they didn't know what to do. Um, so they looked to the Lord. And the Lord spoke through this young guy. This young guy started prophesying. You can see the power and the benefit of prophecy, especially when you don't know what to do. And this young guy began to prophesy, and he says, the battle is not yours, it's mine, says the Lord. And that he would fight their battles for them. And, and so the young king just bowed before the Lord, and he worshiped. And everyone else saw, took that cue, that leadership, and they all bowed before the Lord, and they worshiped the Lord. And, and the next morning, uh, he says, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to take out our weapons of war. We're not going to take out our warriors. We, we want all the singers, those who sing to the Lord, praise and worship and gratitude. We're going to take you, and we're going to send you first. We're going to go out and face these five armies. And they went out with singing, singing about the mercy of God, singing about the, the greatness of God. If you can imagine, no war has ever been fought this way before in the history of mankind. And they go out with, with singing. And when they come up over the rise, they come up over the hill, as far as you can see in any, every direction, all their enemies had been slayed. Not one person survived. And they spent the next three days just going among the dead, picking out jewels and valuables and all kinds of booty and taking that three days of just collecting stuff. And then when they went back in the city, they bowed before the Lord again and they worshiped him. They offered thanksgiving and, and blessed the Lord again. An amazing thing. If that'll happen 
in real life in that way. And, and of course, we're not in any kind of battle quite like that, but we're in a spiritual war. There's an enemy who hates you. There's an enemy who would love to ruin your life, love to pull you down, love to have you live in, in uh, a medicated life. I think there's another kind of medicine. I think there's a medicine that would do your heart good. That medicine is gratitude. That medicine is worship. That medicine is bowing before the Lord in, in humility and saying, you're so big. You're so mighty. So glad Grant chose that song today. We didn't coordinate this, and so what he's singing is actually what's in my heart. Haiti had the worst earthquake in its history in 2010. Uh, I happened to get in there right after that and, and was working there before that, so I had a heart very, very mindful of Haiti in those days. And as I was watching the news, you know, and uh, um, teams, places that have a lot of earthquake, in China they have devastating earthquakes, and, and Turkey they have a lot of earthquakes in Turkey. The whole country has been affected by earthquakes. Uh, Israel. And they have trained people to go in with dogs uh, that can help find people buried under the rubble. And so uh, here they are, they're down there, and they're about two weeks into this thing, uh, working to get every last corpse out of, the, out of the rubble. And I saw this. I remember watching this and, and marveling at this. They started bringing out people who were alive. I remember one guy, they brought him out, and he come out, raising his hands, waving his hands, and praising God, praising God. They could hardly get, get him to say anything else. He was just shouting and giving thanks to God. And they asked him how he could survive under there for all that time. He said, well, I just decided that I would use this as a time of fasting and prayer. <laughs> I remember watching those Israelis and watching those Turkish rescue workers. They were astounded. They had never seen anything like this. He wasn't the only one. Day after day, they'd pull people out of the rubble, and they'd come out praising God. That guy that they brought out, he didn't even need treatment, didn't even need to go to the hospital. He was a little dehydrated. They gave him some, some coconut water, perhaps, and next thing you know, he's, he's gone on and lived his life. This whole thing of giving thanks, especially when you don't feel like it, Hebrews 13, 15 describes it as a sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice is, it's not because you feel like it. It's because it's the right thing to do. And you offer the fruit of your lips, which is thanksgiving. I came home from malaria, or from India, and I had malaria. There were three of us had gone there. All three of us had malaria. Uh, the first guy got it. He ended up in Rochester in the infectious disease clinic. They didn't know what he had. And he was really sick. He was this close uh, to death. And uh, so he, his family got word to us that he had malaria. We might get it next. The next pastor who went with me, he's down in Brooklyn. Uh, he ends up in the uh, uh, emergency ward and ends up in the hospital in the ICU. And, and they don't know quite what he has. And as they're trying to figure it out, you know, we don't see malaria a lot in America. And so it takes a while for them to figure it out. And uh, they got word from Rochester to, Bu to Brooklyn that it's malaria. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm going to a meeting in Buffalo. And um, it ha hasn't hit me yet because I'd had it before. And so uh, uh, 
took a little while for it to kick into my system. But all of a sudden, you know, I could just feel myself getting weaker and weaker and weaker, could hardly stand, no appetite. And you go from extreme uh, sweats to extreme chills in just a few minutes. It's just, it's an insect that injects something in your blood and it lays eggs in your liver and when it comes out, your body's trying to fight it. So it's, it's, it's from mosquitoes. And so I'd, I'd got this and I, I was in trouble. Here I am at a, a weekend uh, conference where I'm the guest speaker and I just kind of got propped up where I could just kind of rest on something and just taught and then went right back to my bed. And I was standing in this, in this home and they were looking after me and and uh, they had a dinner party in our honor uh, that night, and I couldn't go. I was just so uh, exhausted, and, and uh, again, going back from being sweaty hot to ex shaking where you can't even talk, You're, you got the chills. And a Bible verse came to my mind, and it's out of Isaiah, and it says that if you will love the poor... I will visit you on your sickbed, and your health will spring forth speedily. And so with a little strength I had, I said, Lord, I love the poor. I just come out of one of the poorest places on earth. I said, I love the poor. You said that my health would spring forth speedily. Tell me what to do. How do I do this so I can have my health back? And I heard the Lord in my heart. I heard him speak to me as clear as a bell. He said, begin by praising me. And in my weakened condition, that really thin voice, I started, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And a strength came into me. I could feel myself getting stronger and, and I, I got out of bed and got dressed, and I, I could do that. I had the strength to do that. And I went downstairs to, the, uh, to where the dinner party was. And uh, uh, they were so shocked to see me because I, I looked like I was, you know, dying up there. And I had strength, and I sat down. And one of the guests at the dinner table was a doctor, a medical doctor. And he was calling all his doctor friends and had gone home and got a great big huge medical book. And he was sitting there pouring it over this medical book to try to figure out what I had wrong, what it was. And not just what I had wrong, because now we're getting word it's likely malaria, but, but what do you give, what do you, how do you treat someone with malaria? That's what he was wondering. And so uh, he's a medical doctor. He's on the phone to his uh, other doctor friends and they're kind of working on my case and so I come down and, and um, have a little appetite. And so they gave me some toast. And, and so we're sitting there. And uh, he said, I found it. He said, I know, I know what you need. He said, the problem is we called around. And the, the medicine that you need to, to knock this thing out, they, we can't find it in Buffalo. This is in December in Buffalo. We can't find this medicine. And the guy whose house we're staying, and he says, what's the name of the medicine? And the doctor told him, and he says, I have that medicine. <laughs> he said, I, I had a trip planned to go to uh, Africa. He was an engineer who built dams and bridges. He said, I had a trip planned. I had my medicine, which you have to take appropriately before you go. He said, I have it in my medicine chest. No one could quite believe it. He brought it out. He said, this is what you need. He's, and the doctor says, well, take, take these, uh, throw up, 
and you'll feel better. And so, so up there, there goes that toast. And um, I became renewed. I was, I was able to go on and do all the teaching I had to do, do the whole thing. My treatment cost zero. My friend who was in Brooklyn, his, his bills were $8,000 to start with, and, and then they, up, they reduced that. The, the man in Rochester, it was like $117,000, some, some huge, huge bill. Mine, the guy had it in the medicine cabinet. And all I know is that I was grateful before, during, and after. But it was grateful, it was gratitude in the middle of it that seemed to change everything. It reminds me of a story in the Bible where Paul and Silas were arrested. They had cast a demon out of this young girl, set her free. She's a, you know, we have sex, sex uh, slavery now. This was, this was just like that. It was only, it was a, uh, she had a demon and the demon would speak to her. And so uh, it spoke through her. And so the men were making money off this thing. Rather than wanting her to be free, they wanted this demon to be speaking, foretelling the future. And so uh, Paul and Silas prayed, and that demon left her. And so the men, when they found out they lost all this business, they had them arrested and beaten. And in those days, they just take you, they strip you, and they take a, a, a whip, and they whip them until their backs were like hamburger. And then they took them into this jail. And jails weren't like today. Jails were like uh, underground caverns, uh, like a, a, a grotto or a cave. And, and they said, make sure these men are in the, in the innermost part. So the darker, the deeper the cave. If you can imagine going in that cave with me, and the guards taking them down. They've just been whipped alive. And they're taken down, and the place reeks. It smells so bad. And it's so dark. And there's rats scurrying everywhere. And the straw hasn't been changed probably ever. And the deeper they go, there's, there's no light and they chain them to each other, and they chain them to a wall, and they close the door, slam the door. There's no Greenpeace. There's no lawyer. There's no UN. There's no ambassador. There's no one, no one fighting for you, no one trying to get you out. You're there. You may never get out again. And they're in there, and they could just hear people coughing, and, and, and they knew that there were other, other people in these little cavities Paul and Silas chained together. I picture it going something like this, that if they, they catch their breath and their eyes are adjusting to the darkness, one of them says, how does that song go? He says, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. And they got about that far, and the guys in the, in the prison had never heard anyone singing before. All they heard was cursing and retching and violence, damning. And from the innermost prison comes a song. And it says they began to pray, and then they began to sing. And as they began to sing, it says that all of a sudden there was a localized earthquake just local to that building. And God shook the building. He reached into the sphere, shook the building. 
all their chains come off, the doors swung open, not just of their cell, but of all the cells. All of a sudden, all the prisoners are staggering out, the, the doors are open. The jailkeeper, he comes in, he sees everyone set free. He takes the sword out of his sheath, puts it in the ground, puts it on his belly. He's just gonna run himself through because the rule is, is if you lose your prisoners, you have to change places with them. The idea of him, him having to be in prison. Once you're the prison keeper and you have to be in prison, he couldn't bear that thought, so he was going to kill himself. Paul forbid him and spoke to him, said, no, don't do that. And the man listened to him, and he told him about Jesus, and the, the man accepted the Lord. The whole family accepted the Lord. They, Paul and Silas take him down into the, the, the stream that runs in behind the prison, takes him down into the water, lowers him down into the water, baptizes the family. They're absolutely overjoyed. They take Paul and Silas back up the house. They wash their wounds and give them some food and take them back into the prison so that the next confrontation can happen. But can you see this? They were praying, but when, they, when, when something of praise started leaving their mouth, everything changed. Everything changed. What would happen with you? And your car's not working just right. You get news, you're standing at the kitchen sink, and it's not good news. It's a bad phone call. See, because stuff happens. Life happens to us. Stuff happens to all of us, including myself. God doesn't promise that your car won't break down. But he'll wait with you while the tow truck comes. Especially if you're offering gratitude. And it's a fragrance to him. It's, he's, a, he's drawn to it. What if you stopped in the middle of it and just said, Lord, I don't feel like this, but I worship you. I praise you. And with your own lips... Out loud, you start worshiping the Lord. Ruth, if you could put Colossians 3.17 on the screen behind me. Colossians 3.17 talks about thanksgiving. Talks about giving thanks for all things. Giving thanks to the Lord. Whatever happens in word or deed... Whatever is happening, in word or deed, give thanks to the Lord. We also see in um, uh, in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses sixteen to seventeen, it says, "Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances." See, we we're fine. Uh, we don't mind praying a little prayer, you know, over our meal and give thanks to God for something that's good that has happened. What if he just said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to offer the sacrifice of, of praise and the fruit of my lips is going to be thanksgiving no matter what happens to me, no matter what takes place in all circumstances, in good circumstances. When your marriage is being rattled, rather than just getting depressed and rather than uh, with your mouth just a torrent of negativity, what if we stop that? What if we got in the discipline that says, no, my first response, my only response is I'm going to worship the Lord. I think what happens when you start worshiping the Lord, your antenna goes up something positive and you start drawing, you can start hearing from the Lord. Something changes. When you're grumbling and complaining and resentful and bitterness, it's like your antenna comes down. You don't really hear 
anything from him. God wants us to worship him. He wants us to worship him no matter what's happening. There's a missionary that was uh, working in Tobago. And, and he was leading them into the song service. And all the, you know, the, the people are there. And he stopped you know, at the end of the meeting. And he said, uh, are there any other songs? Is there a song a, a request that you'd like us to sing? And this woman stepped out of the shadows and raised her finger. And her nose had been eaten away with leprosy. And her ears were gone. And her lips were all eaten away. And she raised her finger and she said, can we sing, count your many blessings? After the meeting, one missionary said to the other, he says, I bet you'll never sing that a song again. He said, I will, but never the same. Never the same. Psalm 100 and... Uh, verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. What if we change that to say, Enter into his presence with thanksgiving? Best way, the fastest way for me to come into the presence of the Lord, especially when I don't feel like praying. I rarely feel like praying. I'm not looking to getting up at five in the morning to get down there for six and get into a cold living room and, and, and worshiping and praying the Lord, praising the Lord and praying. But it's the right thing to do. It's the only thing to do. It's, it's the right thing to do. But the fastest way to make that worthwhile is with my own lips, out loud. There's something about hearing. There's something that changes things. I don't think God needs to hear me say it out loud. I think I need to hear me say it out loud. I think there's something for saying it loud, even where it says, raise your voice, shout unto the Lord. Uh, the reason you need to shout unto the Lord, there's a time you need to <clears throat> get down in the basement or up in the attic or out in the back 40 or on some lonely side road and raise your voice. It's, it's, it, it's something about being out loud that it changes you. It moves you. And that, I think that's the key to this whole thing. We speak in tongues in this church, many of us do. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul was talking to the Corinthians, and they were overusing it. They were misusing it. They were just doing it all the time. They would, their whole meeting sometimes would be in tongues, and, and they would give thanks over the food, and they would do that in tongues. And Paul is correcting them, and he's dialing back and saying, no, you're, you're going too far. You're driving. You're taking a good thing and driving it into the ditch. But he said this, it's amazing, you can read this in, in um, Psalm 14, verse 17. He says, for truly you are giving thanks well. And there's times that I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, and I've given thanks for everything I know with my own understanding. And there's times where it's just valuable to me. I, something changes, where all of a sudden you start moving into speaking in tongues and singing in tongues, and it changes everything. I think because for the most part, it's thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of the most powerful prayers you can pray. Jesus is listening for it. He's looking for it. He's attentive to it. One leper uh, came back after, uh, they, there are 10 of them, and they come to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus pronounced healing on them and told them to go and show themselves to the high priest. As they're going... 
All 10 of them were instantly healed. Can you imagine your skin is just covered with sores? I've been in leper colonies where they have no fingers and no toes and, and hideous looking skin, running sores all over the skin. And your skin is so diseased. And in an instant, it's as new as a baby. And all of a sudden, all 10 of them realize that they're completely healed. And one of them went back and he said, I, I want to offer thanksgiving. He went back to thank the Lord. And, and what Jesus said is so amazing. He said, where are the other nine? Weren't there 10 healed? Where are the nine? I think Jesus is looking for our gratitude. I think Jesus knows when we're grateful and when we're not. Those 10 people went off, finally got jobs, got married, got apartments, got houses, went on with life. Only one of them actually turned back and said, Jesus, thank you. Because it's not skin, it's life. Your whole life gets changed. You can have babies, you can have a job, you can be out in public, come out of the shadows. Let me just share this and we'll stop. There's a king in Israel, and demons would come, and they would torment him, and he'd be, go into a deep uh, time of uh, despair and discouragement, overwhelmed with anxiety. I mean, he couldn't sleep. And all the men who were with him, they said, this is a demon. This is, this is evil that's attacking him. And, and, and they went in before him. They said, here, king, listen, we have a solution. We know how to stop this. We know what to do. And he says, anything. What is it? What do, you, what do you do? In terms of you know, medicine, in terms of relief, like how do you get relief from this thing? He said, well, one of the guys said, what you have to do is you have to find someone who really can play the guitar. Who's anointed. Who really knows how to worship the Lord. And they said, we know a guy. We know a guy who knows a guy. And there's this teenager, shepherd boy, and God uses him, and he's mighty in spirit. And if we bring him here, and he cuts loose on that, that guitar, his harp is what it was, it'll change everything for you. And the king said, get him. So young David walks into Saul's court, and all of a sudden, his countenance changed, the king's countenance changed, and it got dark. And evil thoughts and depressing thoughts and discouraging thoughts hit him out of nowhere. And he starts going down, start, and David could see it. And David starts going to work on that harp and singing songs. And it says, every demon left, left the room. They left. They covered their ears and they left. If there's one reason to worship the Lord is that the devil doesn't like it. If there's one reason why you should, no matter what your circumstance is, you should stop and cultivate a habit of out loud giving thanks, out loud singing praises to God, is it causes the devil to flee. I've been in India where there's times I, I'm there by myself and then everywhere you look there's idols representing demons everywhere. People carrying them down the street, on the walls of the hotel, all the way down the walls of the hotel. There are their pictures of their demons, their gods. 
And I can go in there and do that and be there alone because I'm a worshiper. All I have to do is raise my voice. I had, I've had times where it just felt like they were crushing me. It was so, so heavy. And again, I would, my little thin voice, and I'm not a singer, but I'm a worshiper. And my little voice would come out, thank you, Lord, bless you, Lord, I love you, Lord. And it changed the room, changed everything, changed the whole trip, changed everything. Because Jesus comes, he's attracted to it. Jesus is attracted to your worship. The devil's repelled by your worship. What should you do? What manner of people ought we to be? I think, I, let me just say this and we're going to stop. I think it's fundamentally flawed for us to think that the only time that we sing and worship the Lord is in church. <laughs> we ought to worship him when everything's going wrong. We should worship him every, every day and under all circumstances that we would be worshipers. We'd offer thanks regardless how you feel. Can we stand together? The kids are going to come pouring back in here in just a few minutes, but why don't we practice this while, they're, while we're waiting for them? If you're not used to raising your hand, why don't you raise your hands and say, I am a worshiper. I am a worshiper. Grant, why don't you come on the keyboard? I am a worshiper. What are you going through right now? What is it that's on your mind all the time? What is it that every time you think about it, you create, it, it feels like you're, there's a knife in your soul. It feels like there's pain. Why don't you say, Lord, I'm not asking you to take that away. I'm worshiping you in it. I'm worshiping you in it. I'm here to proclaim this is a day of thanksgiving. Can you just offer up thanksgiving to the Lord? Enter into his courts. Grant's going to lead us into a song that's a little easier, but from your heart. You don't have to know the song. You don't have to be able to sing the song. But from the heart, let's offer it up before the Lord.